Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. You already found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, The Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by my five-star co-host, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, uh, I, I'm locked in. I'm committed to this podcast. Uh, some some other podcasts offered me lucrative uh, options. Uh, Oregon actually came and offered me millions of dollars just to do a podcast about them. But I'm committed. I remain firm on my, unlike... Um, you know, some 18-year-old kids who uh, took all the money, and good for them, honestly. But what a, what a day it is for, for those who, who celebrate Happy National Signing Day. When we say Happy Holidays, it means, you know, all of the above. Christmas, New Year's, National Signing Day, uh, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we, we certainly put National Signing Day uh, there as well. Kyle, I'm going to be really honest with you. That was a bad decision. Pro- I mean, I love this podcast. I love you. I love our fans. I love what we do. But, like, we're not getting paid millions of dollars to do this, Kyle. A million. Right. I'm kidding. Obviously, uh, no, it's it, because of, um, you know, the, the Tosh Tosh 2.0 or whatever TV show. I have it. I have an email filter against all things that say the word Tosh. So I missed. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. People can connect the dots on, on who paid all the money to get all the recruits today, um, if you so choose. <laughs> but uh, I won't push any further because I like Tosh. No problems. Toshenstein, the recruiting <laughs> monster in Eugene. But we're here to talk about National Signing Day. We'll actually talk about that after the first break. We got to start with who Texas football fans want Texas football to be. That's Texas volleyball bringing home their fourth national championship in dominant fashion. The tower was lit orange with the number one. Texas sent out star Logan Eggleston with a natty. We'll obviously, obviously talk about National Signing Day. We've got some down the 40, a lot to talk about. Burn orange lenses as well. And we'll do our fun stuff at the end. Godzilla Tron and bang the drum. But it was a decade, Kyle. Ten years since the last time Jared Elliott and the Texas Longhorns hoisted the NCAA Division I Volleyball Championship. And it felt right. Logan Ellison's last year gave him an extra one. Wanted to come back and see what was up. And Texas, absolutely dominant. Three to one over San Diego. Put him in the wood chipper in in that that one of those sets. Uh, And then... Defeated Louisville in in a sweep. They swept them 25-22 in the opener, uh, 25-14 in the middle set. That one was just absolutely brutal for the Cardinal. And then they pushed them, actually got to 24 first. Texas then pushed them out to 26, and Texas took home the national. Um, It's amazing what happens when Texas hitters are on and they're able to play incredible defense and really force Louisville into some bad low percentage uh, hitting. Texas hit 371, which is just incredible, and Louisville hit just 189. In that in that match, like absolutely, um, just textbook stuff from Jared Elliott on a star-studded team. I'll talk a little bit in my bang drum about how great this team was and and how I love the way that they got to the the point they did. I mean, this this has to go down as one of the best volleyball teams in the history of college volleyball. Um, you know, if they don't drop kind of that crazy one against Iowa State, that seems like such an aberration. Now they're an undefeated team. They they were dominant. 
Um, you know, they uh, had the reverse sweep against Kansas, which was fun. Um, but pretty much, stressful. I mean, you it, say certainly. Fun, I say stressful. You no, know, it was stressful. I stayed up late watching that one. It was crazy. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was a fun season. I mean, they they were truly just dominant. You had a player who was so far above the rest of the country and anyone who stepped on the court against her in Logan Eggleston, but it wasn't just an, an Eggleston show. And there were nights that weren't her night, not necessarily in this national championship game, of course. Um, it was her night, but I mean, she was so deserving of the the national player of the year award. She won at the award ceremony right before the, uh, before the, the match. Um, but I mean, it was Asia O'Neill all year. It was Molly Phillips being, you know, ridiculous, like just so efficient, so great. Um, SKT, I mean, came in and, and did her thing. She in this one dished out 37 assists, assists, in fact, assists, nine digs, uh, a block and a kill in this one. Uh, Kayla Caffey, a person who came in uh, also from uh, Nebraska with, with uh, Keelani Akana, um, got in there and played well in the rotation. Speaking and, of assists. <laughs> indeed. We, we will get to that. Don't you worry. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, Fleck is a revelation. I wish, you know, we had multiple years of 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 her uh but she's made her rounds around college uh volleyball i think but we'll see but i mean just a, a, an all-star team madison skinner all year maddie skinner was you know when you have Le- logan eggleston and maddie skinner on the same team that's unfair like they're two of the best hitters in the country like you shouldn't one team shouldn't uh have all that power and they certainly did um Skinner in this one had 12 kills, hit 407, win her second national championship as a player after winning one last year with Kentucky. So, um, I mean, it, it was just um, an all-out dominant performance through the entire postseason tournament. It was an all-out dominant season. They started the season playing the Big Ten, the vaunted Big Ten, two top ten teams, and they beat them soundly. I mean, it was everything that was thrown at Texas this year, they just swatted away and truly dominant fashion i loved that this was the year the big 10 didn't even make the final four um which was amazing uh and and it was texas's it was texas's i mean the the volleyball landscape right now for so long it's it's anchored in the midwest in the big 10 right now it runs through austin texas yeah and i think it will continue to i think jared elliott is not going to slow down unless unless he decides that like this is this is a great effing career for him too uh i think jared elliott's not going to slow down um you know i i think he's got several years left (laughs) in the tank he's got texas humming he's got an incredible recruiting class they're grabbing more incredible players out of the transfer portal so like this thing is not slowing down and much like Texas fans have the expectation for baseball and football and rowing and, and all the, like the expectation now for Texas is, is the, the national championship tournament, the final four, really um, it was Omaha or bust this year. And it's going to be wherever it's held next year or bust for, for Texas. Right. Um, and so I think for mm-hmm. this team, it's really impressive to see how like, I, I think back to where we were at like this time last year where Texas made that that semifinals exit, right? And we were disappointed. We were frustrated. And that was a really good team. We thought that was a national championship caliber team. And then Jared Elliott went and got out and got better. Like he was like, yep. oh, we were a couple of uh, mm-hmm. key players away. Let me just go ahead and grab them, right? Absolutely incredible. And like thinking of the way and how he had to recruit the portal, the way and how he had to recruit uh, some of these young players, uh, it's going to be... 
interesting. I mean, he's going to have to find a way to replace like Melanie Parra. You know, she didn't get a ton of run in the national tournament. I think it was maybe a size thing. She's uh, a little bit on the smaller side in Texas. Um, definitely went with a larger lineup in uh, in the in the NCAA tournament, especially towards the later rounds. And so she uh, is in the portal as of like Monday. Uh, so tech, again, Elliot's going to have to do what he does, but he's proven that he could do it, right? He went out and got like three who would have been the the crown jewel of a portal class in any other year. I was like, oh, you got you just get one? I got three of them, right? Like, that's what he does. And so uh, the ability to go out and get better, right? The ability to go out and grab players from Nebraska, who is a powerhouse, getting players from the West Coast. This is a team that's going to rebound. And, and I think we, we tweeted it out after the game, but, like, the dominance of this team, to have more sweeps than dropped sets in the year, they had 18 sweeps and 14 dropped sets in the year, right? Like, that's absolutely insane. Like, it's hard to put into context how dominant this is this is basically like a football team going 12 and 0 and winning everything by 35 points like there's no other way to say that no that's exactly right um it's going to be really interesting with with Eggleston gone right like you you have a lot of really good players left and and but you don't just replace a Logan Eggleston like you can go to the transfer portal do whatever like she's an all-timer all-timer um and so you know the team is going to be good their floor is so Hi, they're you know they just Texas is a machine before the portal, um, but they're going to have to replace a, a couple key pieces. But I, I like Gerald said, I think they're going to be great. I hate to see Melanie Parra leave. I know she was someone who came with a lot of hype because she played so well for the Mexican national team before she even came to Texas. And so there's a lot of Mexican volleyball fans who were kind of upset um, posting on the social media while UT won a national championship. Like, where was Melanie Parra? So, I mean, I think wherever she goes, it will be to be featured somewhere. I think the expectation is she wants to be a, you know, a full-time regular starter. And so good luck to her. But yeah, Eggleston, Parr, a couple others we'll talk about, um, and then we'll probably get some news coming in the offseason um, of who exactly they have to replace and who's coming back. We do know Adrian Neal's coming back, of course, to be the anchor of the team next year, but uh, the slide queen herself. But this is just, I mean, I wanted not look too far ahead to lose the moment. And I, we don't have to spend too much more time, but, I mean, this just truly was a fun team. It was fun to get texts from people who said, oh, Texas is playing in a national championship game. I'll tune in and watch volleyball. And maybe aren't volleyball fans, but Gerald and I, you know, had, had an opportunity to, to go to and cover, in fact, um, the, the volleyball team while in college. So we've been ingrained in it for a while. But um, Longer you know, than some I people are... <laughs> we don't need to say those numbers. Um, but some some people, you know, are, are big-time football fans or football and basketball fans or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is a Texas National Championship. I'm going to watch it. It was fun by the third set hearing people um, – I won't put him on blast, but like our guy Seahorn, like going in, he's like, oh, I see this. I like was getting excited watching certain trends and things, watching a little Texas volleyball, even though he's not a diehard volleyball fanatic or anything. So I love that. I love – that this team is out here growing the fan base even further. I mean, they, they are an elite Texas team. This was a special team. Logan Eccleston, a truly special player, well-deserved uh, MOP award, uh, most outstanding player of the tournament, um, the, the National Player of the Year award, just accolades after accolades, and they're all deserved. She's as incredible. I mean, the fact that Bijan Robinson and Logan Eggleston, and we'll, not, to, not to spoil what's coming next year, but we'll talk about Bijan as well, um, we're on the 40 acres at the same time. There may not be a better combination of uh, a men's and women's representative both on and off their respective um, playing surfaces, right, the field or the court, because both incredible human beings as well as the pinnacle of, of athletic performance. So Logan Eggleston, the queen, 
what a way to go out. So perfect. Jared Elliott capped it up with, with words we won't say on this podcast. Um, but she deserves it. She deserves an expletive every so often because she plays unbelievably well. What a bleeping career for Logan Eggleston. What a season for Texas. And we'll... we'll uh... Now that we've got a national championship in the bag, we'll have to have our friend Brent on to talk about the Directors' Cup here in a couple of weeks. But uh, Texas now leads the nation in national championships since the start of the 2021, uh, 2020-2021 uh, athletic season with eight, right? But Texas getting a natty in the fall. I don't know if you know this, and if you follow, if you're a fan of our podcast, you absolutely do. Uh, Texas wins its Directors' Cups based on the spring. So football not sucking, and the volleyball team getting a natty. Yep. Things are things are trending positively already for Texas with the Directors Cup. They're seventh already and they still have all the tracks, both indoor and outdoor, to complete. They have football to finish up before they get any of those points. Basketball where they're they're top ten. I mean, there's there's a lot of points to be had here. Cross country basically and volleyball are, are the things that have finished and scored so far. Um and in a couple of sports that Texas doesn't compete in. Uh and they're sitting seventh. So they're in a pretty, pretty position. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll we'll get the expert in to talk a little bit more, but uh exciting times. Exciting times indeed. So Texas, once again, got a new header for our podcast logo for our podcast Twitter feed. You can check it out. National champions, excellence, where Texas should be so if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know this is why we're a day late this week because we want to make sure we got all of this and we thought there might be some uh heroics but it is what used to be called the early signing day but now that most of the kids sign on the dotted line in december it's not just national signing day texas came into the day with 21 commitments all 21 signed their national letters of intent texas actually added one in a not dramatic fashion, but uh, an exciting fashion uh, later in the day. The first one off the fax machine, Sadir Mitchell, 6'6", 352, defensive tackle from New Jersey. Remember, they can send them in starting at 7 a.m. local time, so hit at 645. Texas time came in from Patterson, New Jersey. Obviously, the class is highlighted by what I think we, we were safe to call the big three of this class. Uh, number one mm. player in the country, number one quarterback, Arch Manning, signed will be an early enrollee, Anthony Hill number 19 player in the country, number one linebacker, and then number 21 player in the country, number one running back in the country, Cedric Baxter. All three signed with Texas. All three of those plan on early enrolling, as well as the big man on the defense, Sidir Mitchell, offensive lineman Jaden Chapman, uh, offensive lineman Andre Kojo, and Peyton Kirkland. Wide receiver Jonte Cook, the number 35 player in the country, linebacker Darian Gallette, uh, linebacker Leona Leifau, cornerback Manny Muhammad, number 41 player in the country, coming off of a defensive MVP award for South Oak Cliff's state championship game. Offensive lineman Connor Stroh and edge rusher Colton Vasek all plan on joining in January. So those guys will have a leg up on the competition, but all in all, a solid haul for Texas. That's it. Uh, after a what number three recruiting class a year ago, coming in and basically doing the same thing, uh, focused on different areas, we'll say, of yeah. the class than they were a year ago, it feels like Texas is is moving in the right direction. Smarter people have said it better, but uh, the Fong, Steve Wiltfong over at 247, uh, agrees with us that like these last two um, recruiting classes for Texas, uh, they're they're recruiting at a champion level. They're they're basically the third they're this third school in the 247 composite behind 
Alabama and Georgia, two of the mm. most recent national champions. So, like, this is hopefully if Texas can keep this trend, uh, the trajectory, the arrow's pointing up. Yeah, I saw, I saw some, you know, some Aggie message board fodder, which always is hilarious because they had a rough day. And that's we won't spend too much time talking about it. But they seem to be especially um, saddened that Texas at least in recruiting, is is not back. They're, they're still here. They're not going anywhere. But they're recruiting like we talked about, and, and I think, Gerald, you tweeted about this, and it's a really good point. They've always gotten five stars, and they've gotten really lauded players, but they're recruiting specific positions kind of of need and putting these classes together. It's a small sample size, but in the first class, it was a, you know, hairs on fire, danger, danger, get offensive linemen in here to protect your your weapons, uh, quarterback, running back, and otherwise. Um, and they went heavy on offensive linemen. Offensive linemen in this class as well, but they do feel like they're a little bit longer cycle. They're guys who don't have to come in. Um, obviously, it's a luxury when you have a Kelvin Banks who could come in and you know be one of the best tackles in the country immediately. But not everyone's like that, and, and you know they can take some some guys who are going to be primed to play in year three and really be you know an impact player at that point. Kojo is a guy who specifically, I mean, he's coming in. He's sixteen still, right? Like he, you know, he can redshirt sit on the bench for two years and still be 19, you know? So it's um, those guys, and it's good to have that luxury to build that up. But they also, you know, they specifically targeted, hey, linebacker, we, you know, we we were lucky that Ford took a step up, but we're playing some, you know, some portal gets, like some, some decent guys and, and um, you know, DTD and Devin Richardson and guys who came in the portal but weren't like the impact players, but filled. Now they, they are bringing in linebackers to fill that depth top to bottom. This was a, a linebacker class, and we haven't had that in a while, that was deep and filled knees and can rush off the edge and can play inside. Um, again, you heard Roach last week talk about just how good Hill um, was, but I mean, the fact that, that, that PK and Choate really went in and made that a position of priority, and Akana, who's somewhere between edge or linebacker, right, um, you know, obviously he'll, we, we talked about uh, Samanji Burrell, who's, who's, you know, an unbelievable athlete. Gerald loves watching videos of him do backflips because <laughs> linebackers shouldn't be able to do backflips and backhand springs, et cetera. Um, but Ilana Lafau, you know, from Hawaii, our last one, if, if Sadir was in at 645, he was much later, uh, on Hawaii time, but you know, guys that anyone in the country would want, right? Like any team in the country would be thrilled with this linebacker. All some people, the Aggies were saying now they're recruiting sec style. And there is some truth that they're recruiting bigger in the trenches and different things, but they're also, they're not recruiting sec caliber. They're recruiting at the sec teams that win national championship caliber. As Gerald said, they're recruiting exactly like Georgia and Alabama. They're recruiting Big guys on both sides of the ball, interior linemen, edge rushers, linebackers. They're definitely getting some big-time wide receivers. I mean, Jate, they have, you know, three. We'll see what happens with the potential. Um, but, you know, or two, I guess, that, that are in the top, like, 10, 12 receivers in the country. Um, another, you know, potential or two out there to see for pass catchers. Um, but, you know, they, they, they get guys for sure, but the focus isn't, where in, in times past it's been all skill position and you wither a little bit where football is actually won in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Now they're beefing up there and taking the guys they want, getting playmakers, getting one or two of the really elite playmakers. That, you know, Pretty cool when you can get top quarterback, top running back, and top linebacker. Um, those are probably, in the history of football, your three winningest positions. Yeah, and I mean, you, you talked about the big storyline for me. Like last year it was like the interior of the line, right? Like Texas went big on 
big offensive lineman, high caliber offensive lineman, two five star offensive linemen had, I think four of the five were in the top 300 players in the country. Right. So like Texas went big on the offensive line, really revamped that room. There's a reason why uh, Tommy Brockermeyer ended up in, in Fort Worth and not Austin. And part of the reason is like Texas took three really good tackles a year ago. Right. So it doesn't make sense for either party for him to come to Austin. But like now this year, Texas kind of moved outside. Right. Because they did the same thing on the defensive side last year where they had um, kind of their their threes and five techniques. Now, a guy like Sadir Mitchell coming in. um, is just a, a ready-made, like, plop him right behind Tavondre Sweat uh, at that mm-hmm. nose spot and just eat, ta- eat eat blockers, big man. Just eat him up. Um, like, it is – I showed my wife a picture of him. And, her like, I've never <laughs> seen that woman, like, dumbfounded in such a way when I was like, that kid's, that kid's 17, right? Like, that is a 17-year-old. <laughs> he's got he's got a 40-inch neck, right? Like, just ma- – not actually 40-inch, <laughs> but it's huge. Massive, massive neck on that kid. Um, but, like – Texas did that at the edge position this year, right? Like Texas is prioritizing the positions that really win football games. Like, yes, it's, it is great to have the blue chip quarterback. Yes. It's great to have the blue chip running back, but the differentiator for a lot of teams, I mean, Texas, uh, Alabama, Steve Sarkeesian won a national championship with Mac Jones as a quarterback, right? Like we have to have that conversation. Like Arch Manning, as much as I love him, I'm glad he's he's in burnt orange, is a luxury because behind what Texas has trajectory wise at offensive line, like you could you and I could complete a couple of passes back there, right? Like that's that's what Texas is dealing with. And, and I'm not belittling these skill players, but when the conversation of Texas has had talent for years comes around, the classes were not composed like this. The classes were not built inside out like they should have been. They were built outside and then a couple of inside guys. And so for me, that's the biggest thing. Like Texas took four offensive linemen this cycle, four of the uh, three of the four are six six and six seven right the 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 small guy the little guy the shrimp of the crowd six four three oh five like that was the upper echelon in the previous uh regime texas is getting bigger on both sides of the ball they're getting more athletic on the edges of the defense they've got playmaking linebackers like they're truly doing a great job transforming this offense or this this roster uh and they're not done yet yeah, I mean, it, yes, you're 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 absolutely right, and and you know, like, we're not even talking about like Arch Manning in that in that way, right? Like most podcasts that cover a team, if you get the number one player, you make an entire. I mean, we've done that. We've had episodes about Arch Manning, and we will talk about him for years. And he is a unique recruit amongst all recruits, and you know, was confirmed as the national, uh, the Bobby Dodd National High School Player of the Year award, like. We get it. Arch is great. But the the exciting thing is, is we know that he's great. It's been said. We have a whole lot of other things to talk about, right? Like Cedric Baxter is legitimately going to come in and be a dude day one. But like give him the way Bijan, you know, give him a year to to ease in. And by sophomore year, he's going to be at that point, hopefully in the SEC, one of the best backs in the conference. Um, just that that's the talent. He has. I mean, every school in the country wanted him, and that's that's just an absolute fact. He's the number one running back in the country for a reason. Um, Gerald also, you know, was very excited to find out he he wears gold fronts, which again, um, join the movement, baby. Fronts, uh, he's got fronts and locks. That guy is a that yeah. Heisman. Put him down. Twenty twenty six Heisman winner. Put him down. 
<laughs> no, I love it. He's he's certainly got uh, that dog in him. Um, we talked about Anthony Hill, but again, it's just like th- there are dudes at almost every position. We obviously talk. I mean, if if the receiving class for for almost any school was the number six receiver in the entire country and the number 12 receiver in the entire country that's a that's a fantastic class that's the best receiver class of most schools entire history right um texas fans are like wait we wanted deandre Moore too he was set to sign maybe with texas there was a uh, a table tent in front of his uh signing day ceremony at saint john's bosco that had a longhorn on it um he didn't show up Maybe there's, uh, you know, NIL deals um, is how we'll call them being thrown around um, from Louisville or whatever. We'll, we'll see how that one exactly plays out. Heard some rumors, but um, I mean, yeah, if you add him, cool. Now you have three uh, top 15 receivers in the country. Like, that's pretty cool. That's cool to do that, you know, three times over. But that's just like, we're not talking about only the skill positions like we would. Manny Muhammad is a dude like he's going to come in and compete for that other cornerback spot. And by the way, who he's competing with, of course they, they have, you know, who, who's already on campus now. Um, but, Oh, they also went out in the portal and got one of the hottest like names in the country, cornerback Gavin Holmes from wake forest, who again, almost any school of merit wanted him and gave him an offer, at least gave him a call. Um, Texas, you know, basically offered him and a punter and the punter signed today too. So, um, <laughs> They, they really just hit it out of the park, and we haven't even talked about the crossover between these two segments in depth, right? Just what it means to get a Kana who, you know, OU had, if A&M had a, had a not great day and months leading up to it, OU had a, had a tough one today, and losing a Kana to Texas just makes it even more beautiful to take him from, from presumably OU. I mean, not all, like, the fact that, Texas got a Connor, right? Huge. The fact that they got him over OU even bigger. The mm-hmm. fact that earlier mm-hmm. in the day, OU got punched in the face by a five-star safety that they thought they were going to flip for the entire cycle just because he happens to go to school with their quarterback. Incredible, right? Incredible day. The fact that David Hicks is stretching out the recruitment another couple of days just to prolong the agony of both OU and AM, like you usually have to pay extra for that kind of thing, right? Like it just it's just so much fun to watch. So you you mentioned the Akana thing, right? The sample size is real small, but Texas is one for one, hundred percent returns on having an Akana on defense means a national championship for Texas, right? Um, especially obviously um PK just with the just the perfect exclamation point on it um just like who taught that man to tweet right that's, was that that was that him or was that, that a social media per- like, i was wondering if ut had a social media person cue that up for him and, and if they did great like smart love it it's perfect if they didn't I, where did pk get this like from the top rope personality like to tweet the walk-off your sister having the walk-off national championship winning point three days prior to tweet that oh just i mean just it was it was picture perfect and it just felt like a spike directly like meet the Fokker style off the nose of of the the, the entire OU uh, fan base. Good on you, PK. Uh, levels on levels. You're you're a man. You and, and Choate, uh who, who've taken some guff uh, since you got here because um, you're kind of quiet and you you're not you know flashy, but good on you. I mean, it was huge, right? Like the just absolutely everything about it. Um, Kyle and I are doing some research on whether or not we're both allowed to learn how to do the haka. Uh, but having Akana and, and Leifau on the team makes me want to. I'm just going to say that. It just feels it feels right. It just feels like I, 
in and there's a long conversation to be had about like how Texas can continue to recruit Polynesian players and like how generally one, recruiting one elite Polynesian player usually turns into four or five or six elite Polynesian players because uh, kind of the family and the cousins and all of that. Um, but that's a that's not a conversation for today. The conversation for today, Texas currently sits at three, number three in the two four seven uh, composite uh, rankings overall. Sark says they're looking to add one or two more high school players to the mix. It's probably not going to be enough to catch Georgia. Definitely not going to be enough to catch Alabama, but they can put some space between them and Ohio State. Texas will also probably add a few more in the portal. I think DeAndre Moore is probably one of those one or two high school players that they may add. DeAndre Moore probably has a deadline um, because Texas has put a lot of time and effort into recruiting him and they're going to go to the portal for a receiver anyways. So it's kind of like, do we take one or do we take two? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, with with Louisville changing coaches, you thought it was all there and and again, not ruling anything out, but we'll see if if it isn't. I don't think Texas is going to pursue him, you know, all the way to February. I think like you, Gerald said, we'll, we'll see what the portal has to offer. It feels like Texas really prioritized, you know, they got a punter. Um, they picked up a cornerback. They went after really key. I need this next year. This guy will play positions and otherwise they've been very quiet in the portal. I expect that to change after today because they got their high school guys 90% sewed up. We'll keep you up to date with that. Obviously, we'll try to get Mike back here in a couple weeks. He gave us the green light to hit him up. So we'll get him back here in a couple weeks once things slow down and we can talk about portal and what's next. But as it stands right now, Texas sitting pretty heading into 2023. So now's the part of the show where we whip around all the rest of campus and we down the 40. We'll start with men's basketball who wrapped up right as we hit record tonight, knocking off, um, knocking off feels too light of a way to say this, uh, bludgeoning maybe, uh, Louisiana 100 to 72 in a massive showing from Texas. Absolutely. Um, still, no word on what's happening with Chris Beard. Still no word what's happening with Arterio Morris. But Texas, 10-1 and one on the season, number seven in the country. Absolutely big night uh, from Timmy Allen and Marcus Carr on the starting four. Uh, Arterio Morris did score 25 in this, and we'll just leave it at that for tonight. Yeah, most of Texas couldn't couldn't miss. I mean, they shot 58% from, from the floor, 55% from the three-point line, 12-22. Pretty incredible, and they played smothering defense. I think they had a 14-2 run uh, at the end of the first half where it just seemed like they got a block and then a steal and an easy dunk and then a three-point. I mean, and they just swarmed, and they, they never took their foot off the gas. And this was a Louisiana a team that was nine and one coming in, right? So um, Texas needed that. They had two emotional and close games against Brainiac nerds uh, in Rice <laughs> and, and uh, Stanford, who, by the way, they beat Stanford 72-62 in the Pac-12 Coast to Coast Challenge in Dallas. Um, Carr has been on a tear, right? And it didn't stop in in the third game under Coach Rodney Terry. Um, Carr in this one, 17 points, which I guess is technically down from his average uh, since Terry's taken over um, in the the two games prior, which he was named Big 12 Player of the Week for. He was averaging 22.5 points per game, four assists, three rebounds, shooting 517 uh, from the court, 462 from threes. Um, I don't think that uh, went down too drastically in this one. Yeah, three of three um, against Louisiana from behind the arc. Carr is feeling it right now, and if this version of Marcus Carr can make it through the, you know, the conference, uh, they're just about to enter conference one more game, make it through conference play, then I feel really good and and again Marcus Carr got hot uh in the tournament and in the the Big 12 postseason tournament and and we we said can we have that version of Marcus Carr and right now we're getting it I mean good as advertised um efficient 
assists, not a lot of turnovers, hitting three-pointers. I mean, this is what we hoped it would turn into. So it's just a matter of sustaining this level of play. He's playing like an All-American right now. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is due to the other guards playing really well as well, right? Like Tyrese Hunter didn't have like a like a supernova game, but um, you know, just out four assists, ten points, right? Like uh, obviously we mentioned Terry O'Morris had a night as well, but like I think part of what Marcus Carr's limiting factor was last year is because he had to be the dude, right? Like he had to be the dude. So when he doesn't, it, it this is gonna sound like almost oxymoronic but like when he doesn't have to be the dude he's more free to be the dude and mm-hmm. so he's able to uh work off the ball he doesn't have to facilitate he could just find a spot find an open shot it's not his responsibility to get everybody else open and get everybody else in position so he can just be more natural be more of a scorer which is where he thrives and so i think we've seen that now in a couple of games where he's been able to finally find his spot and find a um rhythm and find a a, a uh, stroke and it's worked out well for Texas. Yeah, and, and I'll just add one more thing. Uh, we wondered exactly how we fit in with Hunter stepping up. It felt like he faded back a little bit, and uh, Jabari Rice coming in and, and being kind of the three who can play big or play small and also handle the ball and do everything. Um, it felt like Timmy Allen had stepped back a little bit in the beginning of the season, back to back games with 15 points, 15 and 17 in this one. Um, so it's Interesting, right? I like Texas being, you know, multi-threat, right? They can be multi-dimensional. They can attack you. You know it's going to be Carr. You know Hunter's going to do things. But who who's going to be the, the third and fourth and sometimes fifth guy, right? Is it going to be a Dylan Mitchell night where just his sheer athleticism and ability to get to rebounds, they don't draw plays for him, but he just finds ways to make plays. Is it going to be a Timmy Allen night? Is is Jabari Rice going to, you know, have one of his go-off nights? He's had a few, and we know there's, there's you know, some more to be had there. You know, Morris will have games like this, surely. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's – it's they they are deep. They are they have a lot of weapons, and when they are on and they're shooting well, I don't know that there's a team in the country. Like, I can legitimately say this without burn orange lenses. We'll get there. Um, I don't know that there's a team in the country who can beat Texas when they shoot this way. Like, they, they are so good at everything else that if they are hitting the threes, they are the best team in the country, right? They're number seven. That number will probably shrink a little bit. Um, it's just weird because of the beard situation hanging over, but if they can, you know, Terry's a great coach, and if they can rally as a team and be unified and Brock Cunningham can really be that glue guy emotionally for the team as well and they can come together through all of this storm, um, they have the talent to be the best team in the country when they're, they're shooting like this, like point blank period. Texas has one more tune-up against AM Commerce on Tuesday, December 27th. They get a week off or the rest of the week off, I guess, for Christmas plus a couple of days uh, against AM Commerce at home in the Moody Center before heading to Norman next weekend on New Year's Eve to take on OU to kick off conference play. The ladies, I'm just, the bludgeonings <laughs> continued on the hardwood. The ladies did it as well. Absolutely shut down USC 62 to 48. And then I felt bad for Houston Christian nineties. Like I was in the midst of signing day stuff. And then somebody tweeted the basketball score. And I like had to stop. Like I was just like, Oh, like 96 to 34. Like you don't do that playing. Yeah. 62 points. It does feel mean. Gerald, if I just told you the score was 54 to 12, is that better? No, I, no, I don't 50, know. 54 like that, to 12 was some, like 12. Yeah, points maybe 54 worse. to 12 was their advantage in points in the paint, which again, 56, 54 points in the paint is winning the paint by, by 42 points. Again, just crazy, like craziness. They dominated in this one. And remember 
this is, I know Houston Christian is not the talent level that the UT is, of course, but this is without Aaliyah Moore, another team that's trying to figure out who they are and where they are going forward. Do they change from being a team that wants to pound it inside? Clearly not, because, you know, you saw Deanna Gaston, we said on this very podcast, if they're going to have the success they want to have, she's got to step up. Well, uh, she was uh, 16 uh, and four against USC, 20 and eight against uh, Houston Christian. So, Khadija Faye also uh, second double-double of the season with 16 and 11. And uh, Jack and Jackalinga Mwenintanda uh, uh, scored a season high 16. And she's a guard who's as big as most teams post. So Texas has size this year. Amina Muhammad has had some good games. Again, they're not changing their identity without their best interior scorer out. And I like it. I like that Rory Harmon's running this offense. I think she has fifth straight game with six or more assists. Sonia Morse. Shay Holly, we we know what Shaylee Gonzalez. They have other guards to score, but they're they're going to keep their identity as you know a team that pounds it inside. And I I, I love to see it. I, I think I didn't I maybe didn't expect them to to stick this much to it. Uh, we'll see how it turns out in Big Twelve play, of course, without Aaliyah Moore. But uh, they're they're forging an identity nonetheless. You see Texas really getting. Um, like this is what we expected to see Texas do early in the season, right? When they were still trying to figure out what's going on. We said it on this podcast, like Texas will be a different team on both ends of the court. When Rory Harmon comes back and surprise, surprise, Texas has cracked off a big set of wins and they're, they're looking like the team we expected them to be even with other key injuries holding them back. And so I think this is what we're going to continue to see the trend happen. And I think You don't ever want to claim a conference championship when you haven't played a conference game, but like this is a team that I think should be an early favorite and could be your early favorite to win the conference. Uh, So we'll see that here soon. But before we get to that, they've got they're also hosting A&M Commerce the day after actually the fellas do it. They've got them on Wednesday, the 28th at the Moody Center, and then they start conference play at home in the mood on New Year's Eve against Kansas State. We have some sad news to report. The least kept secret, the worst kept secret in uh, worst kept secrets, I guess, in Longhorn Nation. Uh, Bijan Robinson and Demarvin Overshone both have officially announced that they are declaring for the 2023 NFL Draft and will not be playing in the Alamo Bowl. Um, Demarvin got me. Bijan mm. made me cry. Right, like the, there's no two ways around this. Like um, I. I when you think about, and you mentioned it earlier, when you think about what you want for representatives for the university, I think in different ways, Bijan and Demarvion both uh, exemplify, I think, two different sides of what it means to be Texas and Texas football, right? Like Demarvion is the the big, the boisterous, the 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 massive cowboy hat and boots and the duster walking down the street like he owns the freaking place. Like that's the confidence with which I think a lot of Texas fans want to walk and feel like Texas should walk. And then you've got the other side of that. You've got uh, Bijan, who's this like not wanting to draw attention to himself, but can't help because he's such a magnetic, magnanimous person, magnetic personality, cares about the kids, cares about his, the people around him, like is always willing to share the credit. Like those are two, I think when you think about like public perception of what Texas athletics is, I think both of those guys really exemplify it uh, in different I mean, ways. Great career. Foster kids who came in and had a, a lot of hype to live up to. Um, you saw it in two different ways, right? Bijan did exactly what he was billed to do. DeMarvey Innovation moved up to linebacker, took some time learning the position, showed just an incredible athleticism, got awards and honors to recognize that. And, you know, 
had some injuries along the way and some tough things, but ultimately I think carved out a career at the next level based on, you know, how he played. And then Bijan came in and did exactly what we expected him to do. He rushed for 7,036 career yards and 114 touchdowns. That's in high school. Um, Remember his senior year, we, we gushed over. Can he really be this good? He had 2,200 plus yards, 38 touchdowns on 126 carries. He was averaging 25 yards a carry in high school. We said, surely, surely he can't be that good. Well, let me just read off a few accolades that he racked up along the way. Um, foregoing his senior year, he ranks fourth all-time in Longhorn history with 34 uh, 10 rushing yards, 41 total. That's 33 rushing, 8 receiving, and 42-15 tandem yards. His 33 career rushing touchdowns are the third most in program history, while his 42-31 all-purpose yards rank 8th, and his 246 total points scored are ninth. He had 18 career 100-yard rushing games, the fourth most in UT history. Uh, seven straight games in 2022, that's the third longest in program history. 60 catches for 805 yards um, and eight touchdowns over his career, the 805 being third all-time by a Texas running back in receiving yards. It's the reason NFL GMs are salivating over him. He can he can run between the tackles. He can break. I think he had touchdown runs. He had like seven of them over 30 yards this year, right? Like, um, you know, a 70-yarder, a couple 60-yarders. Like, he, he can break it big and, and, and go for the home run. He can get... The, the led the country in, in most forced missed tackles and yards after contact. He could do all of those things, but he can also has great hands, can can go catch balls, can adjust on on passes as we saw multiple times. He could do it all. And I think there's a reason they're saying he'll be the highest drafted running back since Saquon Barkley. Um, I don't know that he'll be a top five pick, but I think he will without a doubt be the number one running back and it just matters which team, you know, thinks that they can build a career of a franchise in offense around Bijan on day one. I think he's going to be expected to come in and contribute next year as, as a running back of whatever team he lands on. And, and honestly, I'm excited to see it. I mean, I, I, wherever Bijan goes, wherever Demo goes too, right? Like a guy who made the selfless choice a few years ago mm-hmm. to switch from safety to linebacker. And it was probably also self-serving as well, right? Like he wanted to see the field. He wanted to see the field at Texas. And so uh, getting him on the field, moving to linebacker turned out to be the right choice for him, his NFL future and for Texas, right? He turned into a, le- a legitimate playmaker and all conference type of guy, led the team in tackles last year, like a playmaker. Part of the reason why Texas uh, was able to, one, develop Jalen Ford in the way they did, and two, turn in some of this linebacker recruiting they did this year is what they were able to do with those two guys, Jalen Ford and DeMarvin Overshone, and how they've turned them into legitimate NFL draft picks. And so um, it's sad to see those two guys. Obviously, um, they're going to be big holes on on both sides of the ball for Texas, but um, I, I, this is my controversial take, right? Because of what Texas has brought in, like either of those guys returning for an additional year of of playing time pales in comparison to what they can do as NFL representatives for Texas, right? Like Jonathan Brooks, Jaden Blue, Cedric Baxter, Keelan Robinson, they're going to be all right running behind this offensive line. Like we just talked about the linebackers that Texas is bringing in, right? Uh, the edge rushers Texas is bringing in. The gap between the skill of those guys and what Texas has on campus versus uh, Texas having a first round running back, a potential like second to third round running back in, in Roshan Johnson and a, you know, first day-ish kind of, first or second day-ish kind of linebacker. Like, that's huge. Texas uh, has had a bit of a black eye as it comes to the NFL draft lately. So getting those guys in the league and being able to put them on the wall and bring them back for recruiting weekends is huge. But we're not just going to talk about football excellence. In the pool, 
the natatorium, number one on both sides, men's and women's swimming and diving were in action. Uh, the FINA short course championships, not a college competition, but Texas, obviously, if there's swimming going on, Texas is going to be representative, represented. Junior Carson Foster earned five, one, two, three, four, five medals and helped the U.S. establish a four by two free relay record along with Texas X Drew Kibler. He also got uh, second in the, the 200 IM, uh, was uh, right behind Ryan Lochte. Dakota Luther got a uh, world title as well. Uh, Anna Ellent earned a bronze in the 100 meter, and then diving also was in action. Yeah, and and those aren't like, oh, they're the you know the third best college athlete. That's bronze is third best in the world. Dakota Luther um, won the 200 fly. She's the best in the world. If this was Olympics, those would be Olympic gold medals. Carson Foster's five medals would be like five Olympic medals, right? Um, the four by two was not just a college record. That's the new world record that is set for every swimmer in the world um, with two longhorns on there with Drew Kibler. And then the the Ryan Lochte didn't swim in this one, but the 200 IM he, he, uh, Carson Foster swam is the like just a hair off Ryan Lochte's American record um, for the fastest ever to swim in the 200 IM. So we're talking about people who would be winning uh, medals if this was an Olympic year. So really cool stuff. And then uh, the Winter Nationals, it's not exclusive. It's not as an international event. It's more a national champion, if you will, but it's not exclusively college. Um, Texas won the women's team title with 130 points, third place finish on the men's side with 66 points collectively. This is just diving. The divers combined for 196 um, Two golds, three silvers, one bronze. Nick Harris had two of those uh, golds. Haley Hernandez had uh, two friend, gold. Or friend had of the gold. pod, Nick Harris. Wait, no, different That's guy. right. No, no, not two four sevens, Nick Harris. Though I would like to see him do a belly flop, but no, I kid. Um, he, uh, Haley Hernandez, who did compete in the last Olympics, uh, got a gold and a silver. Bridget O'Neill uh, with the silver and, and Jordan Askigan with um, a silver. So uh, great showing for both the swimming and the diving. They'll come back. Uh, after the holidays to compete as a team at the college level once again. We do have to highlight the academics because they are student-athletes, right? Uh, Texas had a bunch of academic All-Americans named. Uh, Ovio Gufo was a second-team All-American, not shocking. He went to Notre Dame. He's smart. Uh, <laughs> Texas had five academic All-District selections, Hudson Karjic, Majors Moore, Ojoma, Logan Parr, and obviously Ovio Gufo, and then 30 players in All-Big 12 distinction, 23 of the first-team Moro Ojomo's fourth consecutive. Gotta love that education. Absolutely. And and Ovi is the 25th Longhorn football uh, player to earn academic All-American honors. So big deal for him. Um, on the volleyball side, it was really incredible. They just won a national championship, and then this came out. They placed four on the academic Big 12 team, Eggleston, Hi uh, Riley Heinrich, Asia O'Neill, and Molly Phillips on the first team. But then... Eggleston just went ahead and landed on the first team academic All-American as well. So she was an All-American and academic All-American. She's the third player in Big 12 history to earn both of those in the same season. First team again, uh, academic All-American as well as first team All-American. Soccer has 14 on the all academic All-Conference team, 12 on the first team. Absolutely incredible. And then co cross country, 14. Not just not just uh, athletically gifted, but academically gifted as well in the 40 acres. All right, Jill, let's take a quick look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. Um, it was state playoffs. Our good friend Mike came on the podcast last week and 
gave us a little preview of, of the players who would be signing and also a little preview of what he was doing, which was covering a lot of high school football. Um, it went well for Texas. Texas commits went 5-0 and at UIL State. Uh, the aforementioned South Oak Cliff boys, Manny Muhammad and Billy Walton, uh, with their championship. Uh, three, or excuse me, two other schools, three players from two other schools, Jaden Allen, from DeSoto, Weisner and Dante Cook, um, who, who both committed today. And then a 2024 kid, uh, Jaden Allen, who won the championship with Alito, may have some more to say next year as well. But 5-0, and oh, a sweep uh, from Texas, especially uh, they're all Dallas area kids at state championship. You love to see it. Jaden Allen, younger brother of Texas safety BJ Allen. So uh, keeping it in the family. Quick look at Longhorns in the NFL. Um, there's a couple candidates here, but Gerald, I'm, I'm curious to hear your uh, your pick for for Longhorn of the week. I have probably about four I've narrowed it down to, but I'm curious where you're going. I know the one you want to go through to, and I'll leave it for you. Uh, Quandre Diggs, seven tackles, three solo, quarterback hurry, a pass breakup, and second consecutive Pro Bowl selection for Quandre the Giants. So I'm going to go with him. Uh, that's respectable. Love that. Uh, honorable mention to my guy, Joe, uh, Joseph Osai, two tackles, one QBH, one pass deflection, one fumble recovery. He's all over getting them stats, uh, just getting started. Um, special teams, Gerald. Special teams wins games, and I can't figure out. We haven't talked about Michael Dixon all year. He crushed it in this one, averaged 50 over seven punts at a 64-yarder. But he, he just he can't not give your Longhorn of the Week, as I'm going to do, to Cameron Dicker. All that man does is chew bubble gum and, and kick game-winning field goals, and he's all out of bubble gum. Gerald, he, he does not miss a 43-yarder with a game-tied 14-14 with the clock winding down uh, against the Tennessee Titans. What does Cameron Dicker do? Splits the uprights. That's what Cameron Dicker does. Third game winner, second team of the year for him. That is, uh, that is that's fun. That's an interesting, interesting little... Uh, a little wiggle there in the history books when we look back on it. Uh, Gerald, as we talked a lot of high school and we talked a lot of recruits, and a man who, who certainly should get his shine uh, for his role he played in as the, uh, I believe, the director of player personnel or high school relations, um, Chris Gilbert, um, was hired as an on-field coach uh, for the North Texas Screaming Eagles, going back to the Dallas area where he originally came from. We just talked about a lot of Dallas area commits. The Dallas high school is having success. It's uh, we've had you know Rashad Samples who was an, an ace in that area. You know it's good to keep the Dallas pipeline humming for the Longhorns. Don't think Chris Gilbert leaving you know will, will hurt that necessarily, but he did a great uh, a great job helping the staff. Um, you know, with all the high school coaches, but especially in the DFW. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see who fills that role. We'll see who, uh, you know, basically if, if you're a high school coach, you want to get your kids to campus, you want to get tickets, you want to come to a practice, you want to, that's your point of contact. Um, it's a relationship position. So it's always curious to see who will fill that. That's what Joey McGuire did for Matt Rule at Baylor. And then now has turned that into a head coaching job out at Texas Tech. So it'll be very interesting. Um, who comes in there, but it also be interesting for Gilbert. Uh, good for him to get an opportunity. We're, we're excited. You know, the, the Longhorn, we have coaches like Coach Marion and, and, and Gilbert and people who we know aren't going to be here for 30 years, but seeing their careers go on uh, is always interesting. And, and, I mean, we have that when we talk about head coaches across the country. We'll, we'll talk about it in just a second, but it's, uh, it's a coaching tree for a reason. So congrats to, Coach Gil or to Chris Gilbert. He wanted to get back on the field. He did a great job. And I think part of his job was like, again, not to be in the chair forever, but reopen relations with DFW. It felt like the previous regime potentially had burned a lot of bridges in the DFW area and things had been shut off where Charlie Strong did a really good job of re of opening those things. And so uh, getting Texas back into those DFW schools, building relations. I mean, I think when you've, when you've, 
seemingly established a pipeline at South Oak Cliff and Denton Ryan and DeSoto, like you're doing a, in Alito, like you're doing a good job. So like, I think reopening those pipelines is probably the big ask of him. And so now that they're open, I think you've got a little bit more flexibility. Uh, this is like the pipe dream, right? Like Reginald Samples got his, his state championship. He got his gold ball <laughs> finally this week. So like, I don't know, maybe slap a big check on Hey, coach. You want to take some, you want to take some Friday nights off? Like <laughs> here you go. Right. Uh, that That's like, that is like the fever dream. Like I had too much to drink and woke up in the middle of the night sweating kind of situation. Um, you know, Christmas Carol kind of wake up, but Sark has done a really good job and Sark has done a really good job of building. Sark has done a really good job of building relationships with the Texas high school football coaches. That's something that I think uh, we've heard, especially after the last regime, um, did not do that. And so Sark has been at the coat, you know, been shaking, kissing all the right hands and shaking all the right babies. I shouldn't make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't make that joke. <laughs> You know, Sark has done a good job of shaking all the right hands and, and kissing all the right babies with the Texas high school football coaches. And so I think um, it's probably it's obviously the type of person you want to fill a longtime coach or an athletic director. Uh, we'll see who it is. But big ups to Coach Gilbert, man. Speaking of coaches who moved on from the 40 acres and are doing big things. Um, Tim Beck, we, we mentioned last week, was named the, the head coach of Coastal Carolina. Uh, he's getting a little bit of a reunion of sorts. Uh, the, the gang back together there. Craig Nivar. Leaving SMU will join him uh, as the defensive coordinator on that team. And then Derek Wareheim, who I believe was in New Mexico um, previous to this, will join as the OL uh, offensive line coach there. So uh, little little uh, f- former friends, uh, associates of Tom Herman, as Herman also gets his opportunity, of course, with FAU. And, and he's even pulling some reunions. Ben Ballard. Uh, the walk-on quarterback for Texas seems to have announced to join him at FAU. So um, the other quarterback we got to talk about, or other, excuse me, coach, but quarterback as well, Major Applewhite had a, an incredible season. I mean, he took University of South Alabama to their first ever bowl game. He went 10-2 and this year. They lost on a failed trick play, which was ridiculous, admittedly, against UCLA, who ended up being a really good team. And they lost to Troy, who ended up being probably the best G5 team in the country um, by one score, you know, losses one point and I think six points in the other. So, I mean, had a a, a shot, uh, a touchdown uh, across two games away from being undefeated. Now, that hasn't necessarily translated as we record this on Wednesday night to um, they're down 31 to three to, to Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers, but that's okay. Uh, doesn't negate a really great year for, for major Applewhite 10 and two. Hard to do. Uh, the only other thing to watch for bowl season that I'm aware of, Mac Brown uh, will play Oregon in the Holiday Bowl 12-28 the day before uh, Texas plays. So, uh, you know, we always root for Mac. Uh, a, a cool just award that came across the Newswire saw Phil Dawson will set to receive the 2023 NCAA Silver Anniversary Award. That's um, basically uh, recognizes distinguished individuals on their 25th anniversary of the Clute conclusion of their collegiate careers he had an incredibly long and fruitful nfl career but also was that dude uh at texas you know we know tucker and dicker they're doing great things now but you know phil dawson set the standard for texas kickers we talk about texas being special teams you like phil dawson is is the chief among them he's the biggest face on the mount rushmore of texas special specialists that have made an impact and the guy was you know in the league for a century basically all right gerald let's 
take it home with our last two segments. Started off with Godzilla Tron. What are you watching on your giant screen? Quickly, I needed something dumb to watch while I, I you know, did some work around the house, full of the laundry and whatnot, got ready for Christmas. So I, I was I watched Rick and Morty like weekly when it came out back in the back in the day, and I stopped doing that. I was like, this is a dumb show that I don't have to pay attention to. It's the same show it always is. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. It's vulgar and dumb and you know it's it's dan Harmon and it's gonna be what it is um and then i i as i mentioned last week i'm a big fan of like the christmas carol like storyline and kind of framework and so um scrooged is is a uh, i don't know if you call it a classic or a cult classic but it's bill murray doing like the um tv exec from the, the you know the big suited up tv exec from the 80 from the you know, late 80s early 90s um and, and this is not like, but this is, you're just stay with me here. This is not a movie that would be made today because they would either have to make it more PG or more R. Like it's, so, it's such in the middle, like it is such an eighties PG 13 movie where it's like, we're kind of being adult, but we're not wanting like, whereas like nowadays, like a PG 13 movie has to have like wide family appeal. Right. Like it, it would just, it, it just, it, they would need to go one way or the other with it, and I'd be fine with it either way. Um, but Bill Murray does a great job. The speech at the end is is fun, and it's just a fun, different twist on it. Um, it's almost like a little bit of a time capsule, which I appreciate, but that's what I've been watching. Don't know if I've seen that one, honestly. Uh, maybe I'd have to get it. We we watched the holiday movie, my wife and I, um, and I'm not ashamed to say that she fell asleep about halfway through, and I kept going. I powered through to the end. One of my favorite rom-coms in general, and it also is, of course, a Christmas movie, The Holiday. Um, legitimately, it's it's. I love Love Actually, but it's like a better version of Love Actually. So I guess less storylines yes. intertwine. Um, but it, uh, you know, if you don't cry when the uh, former or the the you know, you know retired Hollywood screenwriter walks across the stage um, with Jack Black's score playing for him, what are you what are you doing with your life? But uh, fantastic film for the whole family, especially uh, for for the uh, you know. Men can like rom-coms, too. If you have two on this podcast who, who are, are squarely in that camp. Um, the other thing we started was the new White Lotus. I think we're only two episodes in, so still reserving. Bit of judgment. We'll, we'll let you know how we see it. I, I loved the first one, actually, a lot. Uh, more than I thought I would even. Um, and it's, it's I think, 99% not the same cast. Uh, Jennifer Cole is the only one who rolls over. But it's it's interesting. It's It's beautifully shot. It's got a little intrigue already, so we'll see where they go from here. But it's um, check in as I get a little further on. It is big boy season, as SZA said, which ah. is why the holiday continues to be the goat. Jack Black, um, the least likely leading man in a uh, in a rom com, but absolutely crushes it. That movie's great. My wife and I are actually planning on watching it this weekend, so uh, we will report back soon. But that brings us to the part of the show. Where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, whether it's Big Bertha one or two, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I am going back to volleyball, Gerald. Um, it, it was kind of weird, right? Like we we know the Omahorns trope, but because Nebraska isn't particularly good at baseball, um, they don't necessarily flood uh, the stadium. We don't have to deal with Nebraska fans just because you're you're in Omaha. Um, I think the the stat is right. Like on Saturdays <laughs> in the fall, um, the the stadium, uh, the Nebraska Cornhusker Stadium becomes the third biggest city in the state of Nebraska. There ain't much there. There ain't much to do. And so the volleyball national championship being played uh, at the CHI Center, um, obviously. A lot of Nebraska fans showed up. They, a lot of Nebraska fans already booked their tickets, uh, assuming they would be there, which, oh, sorry, guys. Um, but 
they came out and it felt like a home crowd for Louisville. They were cheering, they were wearing red, they were booing Texas. Um, it was a hostile crowd, right? Which made the win even sweeter. Um, the thing that I found was interesting, like that's okay. We're rivals in volleyball specifically. We used to be in the Big 12. We were the two teams who won the Big 12 every year. It was either us or them. Um, we played in, in national tournaments before last year. I mean, Akana keeps weaving through this podcast, it had seven aces against Texas. That's what you know, put her on Elliot's radar, and obviously it worked because she had the winning one. But two, uh, Kayla Coffey and, and Akana both came from Nebraska, and Madison Skinner came from uh, came from Kentucky, and Zoe Fleck transferred in from the West Coast. I mean, you, you had some people come in on this team, which is great. That's how college sports works. You use the portal. Jared Elliott, as we talked about in our previous segment, did it fantastically. Social media, however, from a bunch of Nebraska Karens um, who think pepper is too spicy to put on food, um, basically, like, we're saying this shouldn't count. Like, this is a club um, national championship because Texas isn't a school anymore. They're a volleyball club, and they're, they won. They need to split this championship with all the other schools where people transferred in from. And first of all, I just want to say, you shut your Lexi sun-loving mouths. Um, and, and, and second of all, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I don't know that I've heard a narrative. Like, I get it. Anything Texas does will everyone in the country will want to tear down. Like, even volleyball. Like, it doesn't matter what sport it is. We know they do that in, in basketball and in baseball and in football. But in every sport, they're going to try to tear Texas down. I get that. But it just feels like such such an inane thing to, to come at. When, again, you've taken transfers yourself. Every school in the Final Four had a, a transfer portal transfer on their roster. Texas just did it better than everyone else. So like you're getting upset that they're better on the court and better at the game of getting people on the court. Like I just truly don't get it. Like take your L, take your double L. You were there to watch Texas win a national championship. I hope the tickets didn't cost you too much. Nebraska fans in general, fans, haters of Texas, you make your tears, make our victory all the sweeter. That actually dovetails really well to to my banging the drum as well. And I'm banging the drum this week on the game being the game, right? Um, we were talking a lot. We talked a lot about recruiting today at nauseum because it was, you know, early signing day. And there's this weird um, taboo, I think, still around talking about the monetary side of what recruiting is nowadays. It was against the rules for so long. It was against the rules for so long that I think people have trouble recalibrating on what it is. Like we skirt around the fact that like Tosh Lupoi spent three years in the NFL for a reason, right? And now he's back at Oregon and he's doing Tosh things. And that's part of the game now, right? And I say this because I, I had a, I had a weird text, I got a weird interaction with a Texas fan on Twitter today where I was talking about, I was kind of talking about, um, Texas landing a bunch of number one players and you know the the tweet I was quoting uh, was was giving the coaches credit for landing these kids and the person replied it was like more like the Texas boosters and they were a Texas fan which is weird and to that I say like that's part of the game now right like that's part of what it is like and like nil is part of getting some kids nli and I'm not ashamed to say that right the fact that Texas can be Texas with the brand, with the coaches, with the facilities. And now that the booster base seems to be aligned behind what Texas is doing, like I call that one of them good problems to quote Marlo from the wire, right? Like that's one of those good problems to have. Like 
if you feel any sort of shame about that, like college football might not be for you anymore. Like that, it just, it, it is what it is. Like that's what college football is now is, is being able. And, and I can't blame these kids for wanting to maximize their market value because college football is a b- b- billion dollar industry. Texas and OU are leaving the big 12 for the sec for, for eight to nine figures worth of value over the next decade, right? Like that is what it is. And so for these 18, 19 year olds to get like life-changing, generational-changing, potentially money for these NIL deals, I can't, I'm not mad about it, and I can't be mad about it, and if you're mad about it, I understand your your feelings, and you're entitled to your feelings, but, like, the game is the game, and we kind of got to pivot, and the fact that Texas can use these boosters that have been a disadvantage for, for so many for so long for its advantage feels good to be the king. A, a brief note for adult male named Dabo, whoever that may be. Um, you're not the only one who has folksy cute sayings. I have one too. No more show cause NIL's bringing Santa Claus because just dropping off bags. I could do it too. See, I could do cutesy. Yeah. It's just as bad as his. It's just as bad as his. Uh, someone clipped that audio and tweeted at him every day for the next 365 would be great. Um, (laughs) yeah, if you haven't seen that, Ooh, it's, it's a clip, um, of, of cornball proportions, but yes, no more. Show cause NIL bringing Santa Claus. That's all we got for you <laughs> this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodwood. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. I know our recording schedule has been weird for the month of December, but we've been kind of pivoting around events that we've got. So with that in mind, we will be dropping our Alamo Bowl preview on Monday to give you a few days after Christmas ahead of the game as you're traveling down to San Antonio to listen to it. We'll have our friends from the Dog Pound on with us for that. But until then, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. I will say the Aggies paid two different teams to whoop their keister this year. Texas SNL.